stretched open wide, barely hanging on to life, left to suffer all alone. You came for all mankind to bridge the great divide. Somehow ended up alone. Because of all the blood and tears you shed, I will never know that kind of loneliness. Your spirit never leaves me, even when. I don't have to bear that burden on my own. You carried all the pain and buried all the shame when you made that rugged tree a righteous throne. Because of you, I'll never walk alone. You came here as a man. I know you understand what it's like to walk these roads. My problem don't compare to that crown you had to wear. Still you take them as your own. Because of all the blood and tears you shed, I will never know that kind of Your spirit never leaves me, even when I'm hurting, I don't have to bear that burden on my own. You carried all the pain and buried all the shame when you made that rugged tree righteous throne because of you I'll never walk alone you carried all the pain and buried all the shame when you made that rugged tree your righteous throne because of you, I'll never walk alone. Lord, because of you, I'll never walk alone. John chapter 12,
John chapter 12, please, tonight. God, Gospel of John, Gospel of John chapter 12, please, tonight. I was going to say I have a pitiful message this evening, but somebody already stole that and did not preach a pitiful message. Well, I'm going to announce this as a pitiful message, but you will when I'm done. Okay, that'll work. John chapter so sarcastic because it's so much fun. I can find humor in anything. That's disgusting when you think about it. I mean, I'm so rotten. I go to nursing homes, throw patients in the hot parking lot, watch them flop around. I mean, it's awful. It's just sarcasm is a disease with me. I have a plaque in my office that says sarcasm, the other service I offer you. you And someone actually gave that to me. But I can't help but have an overactive imagination. I have the best, I don't know how y'all do with dreams. I have the best dream ever. I do some, I wake up tired sometimes because of my dreams. Not because I didn't sleep well, it's because of my dreams. And uh, it was, I remember, I was, I would dream. You ever get a repeating dream? One you've had more than once? Well, this one's like a nightmare because I, I, I dreamed years back, I dreamed I was at uh, North Valley Santa Clara preaching. Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair 
and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said because he was a Democrat. No, I'm sorry. This he said not that he cared for the not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and wherever that was put therein, he was a Democrat. Anyway, then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my bearing hath she kept this, for the poor always you have with you, me, with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But no, here's another stupid thing in the Bible. Watch this, not the Bible's stupid. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Raised from the dead, we gotta, we got to kill this guy. Sometimes, I'm telling you, and they have children. It's unbelievable. Verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Did you see that list of people there? All right, well, look, there's Simon the leper's house. We knew him from there. Mary Martha, Lazarus, come over. Disciples are there. Judas Iscariot is there. And then some of the religious crowd shows up. And then some people who just kind of wanted to see what was going on. A curious crowd. So you have this different crowd that's there at this supper. I was reading that one day and I thought, you know, that crowd's been around Jesus for 2,000 years. That crowd's in this room today. No doubt. So then my question to you this quickly this evening, my warm-up message from Brother Cox is this. Who are you in this supper? Father, bless now this evening, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I said this crowd's here tonight. There's Simon the leper, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There's Mary doing something special for Jesus. There's Judas who's going to betray him. Then there's the curious crowd. There's the religious crowd. Hey, that same crowd is here tonight in this room. Same crowd. It's fascinating how, you know, we think, well, it's a new day, Pastor Johnson. Well, electronically, it's a new day, but people are no different now than they've ever been when it comes Amen. to who people are, what people are, what kind of people they are today, and not as much change with that. So let's look at this crowd, John chapter 12, verse number 1 to 11. Then they're at the, Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper. Well, we know what happened with Simon the leper, don't we? Jesus healed him. But Simon was also a Pharisee, a very religious man. But he had a disease that was going to kill him. Leprosy in those days was a death sentence. You were going to die. Not only were you going to die, you're going to die a horrible, slow death. Leprosy kills the nerves in your body and stuff. And after a while, the fingers fall off in the ears and the nose and the legs, the feet and the toes and the legs. And it slowly eats your body away. Today, it's called Hansen's disease. They can cure it with an antibiotic. But they didn't have know what that was in those days. I remember being in India several years ago. And we're with a, an Indian pastor there, as a matter of fact, and he had this compound, a walled compound with a nice big house in it, and we were staying there while we were preaching with him, and boy, he preached us all over the southern tip of India. I mean, we preached from dark daylight to dark every day, for goodness sakes, all kinds of places. One morning, I was sitting out there early getting ready for the day, and I noticed a man over there, older gentleman, sweeping the, some of the dirt and picking up some trash and different things like that, and I nodded at him like that, and he turned his head away from me. Say anything about it, and then the pastor came out a few minutes later. I said, Pastor, who's that man right there? And he goes, Well, he's a leper. He, he lives out in the rubber plantation right next to us here. I built him a little thatched hut because his family didn't want anything to do with him. And one day, after some time, he'll, I'll go out there, he'll be dead, and I'll have to bury 
him a few coins for coming over and cleaning up, and that's how he stays alive. Next morning, I was out there reading my Bible, getting ready for the day, and there he was again. He was holding, he'd taken some palm fronds off some of the palm trees, and he was holding them in his hands. But instead of holding like this, he was holding like this because all his fingers were eaten off, and his ears were eaten off, and part of his nose was eaten off. And I went over to him, and I boasted to him, and he turned his head away, and I said, I said, like this. And I, my wife, would open, whenever we travel, she always brings little crackers and stuff for snacks, and I took some of those out, and I, and I handed them to him like that, and he, sort of turned his head like this. I said, it's okay, take it. And he reached out his little nubs like that and he took those crackers. That was my soul. I was 10 or 12 years old. That's not my memory. I was there then, of course. Leprosy was a death sentence. Jesus healed this man of a death sentence, a double death sentence. Because look at me, Jesus healed this man of a religion that was going to take him to hell. Say, well, that's the Jewish faith. Yeah, that's the Jewish faith. Those are God's people. We support Israel. We're for Israel and everything else. I'm not talking about the nation. I'm talking about the religion. It's a religion of works like all religions of works. And this man was steeped in that. He was a Pharisee. So he has he has leprosy, a death sentence. He has a, a wrong religion. That's a death sentence. And in a moment of repentance and faith, he gets healed and saved. And Jesus gives him a life. No wonder Jesus came there for a meal. No wonder Simon wanted him to come for a meal. You know why? Because Simon was a man who felt like he owed Jesus so much in his life. Well, let me ask you a question tonight. Do you still feel like you owe Jesus something? See, it's amazing to me how after a while we get kind of used to our salvation. We get one of those, we get one of those so-so salvations. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Ain't so-so, bro. It's still so great salvation. And we better keep that right in our minds now. You better, look at me. You better keep that right. I'm sick and tired of hearing people who say, I'm saved, and they live like the stinking devil, and they go do whatever they want with their life. How dare you take the precious blood of Jesus and walk over that thing and just go on and live your life. See, Simon wasn't like that. He he not only was no longer a Pharisee, he was a healed man, and he felt like, oh, Jesus, so much for him. And the idea of the dinner was fellowship. See, when you talk to Christians about their walk with God, most Christians say, well, I struggle because, you know, it's just hard to do this. That's probably the most neglected area of the Christian life is your personal walk with God. So well, how do you get that down in your mind, Pastor Thompson? Here's how you get it. Do you, do you feel like you owe Jesus still for the salvation he gave you? And you, and you just want to spend some time with him. My, my wife, she used to travel with me. She was with me in India. We, we were in India together. and she, She's a trooper, man, I'm telling you. That's, that is the filthiest country I've been in my life. I've been in a lot of countries, 67 continents. I'm telling you, it was filthy, dirty, all kinds of stuff going on. And for her, she's a clean, she's a clean freak. She's a trooper, man. She's out there doing that. She, she just doesn't travel with me much anymore. And because uh, we have grandkids and they're more important than I am. You just got to know your place. So I've been gone since Monday. So this is Wednesday. So third, Friday morning, I'll fly home. I miss her. I miss her a lot. I do. She's, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She is incredible. I tell her all the time, I said, she's in the kitchen one day, she's washing dishes and stuff, she has a house dress on, I look over and I go, girl, you got it going on over there now, and she's all honey, and I go, come, come, come here, come here, and I take her and I dip her in that thing, and I said, 
fight to get time with my wife. No way. <laughs> I ain't home much <laughs> with my retirement. My son, somebody hasn't given me a good title for this retirement thing yet. But she's asking me, now you are going to be doing something, right? <laughs> well, don't you want me around the house? Yeah, just not all the time. You know, <laughs> She's not as crazy about me as I am about her, I think. Anyway, I don't know. You know, people say, I have a hard time being consistent in my walk with God. Do you still feel like you owe Jesus for your salvation? Come on. I mean, don't you want to spend time with somebody who loved you that much? See, we just take the love of God for granted. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God commended his love toward us and that way we're yet sinners. Oh, to know that. See, that I got as a boy in the drunkard's home. When I heard the gospel, I, I was amazed that God loved me. Nine years old, 16 years ago, I came to Christ on God's love and the fact I'd burn in hell if I did. But I've gotten over the love of God. I won't get over the love of God. And so when it comes time to read the Bible, it's not like, oh, I guess I have to. No, I get to spend some time with God. Do you still feel like you owe Jesus something? Then there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're preparing the meal. Well, you can see why Mary, Martha, and Lazarus loved Jesus so much. They raised, he's raised, they raised, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I've often wondered, one of these meals after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, if Lazarus didn't turn to Jesus and say, why? I was home. I had to come back. These crazy people say, well, I died and I went to heaven and there was Aunt Mary and Uncle Joe and Jesus and then they told me I had to go back. Now you look at me, look at me, look at me. If I get up there, there ain't enough angels in heaven to shove me down that tube and get me back down here. You understand? I, I don't mean to be selfish, but I ain't coming back. I don't want to come back. I just feel like I should come back. Well, you're stupid, pal. Let me tell you that. No way. I'm on the other side. I ain't coming back. No, 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 no. But what is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? What is this? They not only felt like they owed Jesus something, they were just thankful that God had done something in their life. Amen. Yeah, well, God does stuff. Yeah, but that's our problem. Yeah, God does stuff. Young people say, how you doing? Do you ever say blessed and highly favored? You ever do that? I do. You know why? Because I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. The truth is, it, it amazes me how we in America, one thing about missions trips, you, you, don't, you don't come home and take for granted what we have. Just water. I was preaching in, uh, in uh, uh, Rwanda. No, Kenya. I don't know. Somewhere in Africa. I was preaching, no, it was Rwanda. And they put us in this block guest house thing with real rough floors and a bit about that wide. I am not that narrow. Are you? I'm narrow-minded, but I ain't that narrow. There ain't a part on me that narrow, as a matter of fact. Looks like a one-legger, you know what I mean? A little bit. And they had a bathroom that was a, a rough, rough saw, a rough uh, concrete floor bathroom with block walls. And you wouldn't call it a bathroom, to be honest with you. There's a little well on the floor where, the, where you're supposed to take your bath and a, a little spigot in the wall with a little bit of a hose sticking out of it. And the pastor puts us in there and he goes, now I got to tell you, Brother Johnson, sometimes water comes out of there, sometimes it doesn't. So you just got to do the best you can. Well, it's hot. It's equatorial Africa, so it's hot. We're preaching all day long, sweaty, hot. I can sweep, sleep anywhere, do anything if I can just take a bath and lay down somewhere semi-decent where the cockroaches are not moving the furniture. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm staying in this bathroom one morning and I'm thinking, I get a hold of that hose and I say, God, you made water come out of the rock for Moses to drink. Now, I ain't Moses, but it would sure be nice if I turned that hose and that faucet right there. I had some water come out of there so I could take a bath. Just hose me down, Lord, would you please? Hail Mary, full of grace. Help some water come on down this place. 
of God right here. All right, here we go. Yeah. So you do like a Navy shower where you get wet, turn it off, soap down, turn it on, no water. I forgot to pray for water to come back on the hose. Now I'm standing there with soap in my eyes. Say, come on, Lord. You know, one more. Come on. Here we go. Return, please. Something. Nope. No water. And I had about that much muddy, soapy water in that little well down there, and I'm splashing it up on me like this. You come home from something like that, you turn on the faucet, and you go, "Thank God, I live in America." Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, no, 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 no. There, there's something about that. What God does in our lives, we take for granted the simplest, most everyday things that God does. Come on. If you wake up on the right side of the lawn, you are blessed. If the groundhogs are not bringing you your mail, you are blessed. You understand that? Mary and Martha and Lazarus just appreciated that Jesus had done something in their family raised their brother, gave Lazarus a life. And look, people came not only to see Jesus, but they actually came to see Lazarus. He made their life count. See, most people are going to live their life, and it's not going to count for nothing. It isn't. You ever consider what the sin of Lazarus was, the sin of, 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 of uh, Methuselah is? Methuselah lived 690 years, and he died. I read a sermon years ago by Bob Jones Sr., and in that message, he was preaching in New York City revival meeting in the 1920s. And in that message, he made this comment, the sin of Methuselah. I thought, you ought to call him that name, the sin, all right. And it says, and Methuselah lived 690 years, and then he died. You see it? He lived 690 years, and he died. He lived 690 years, and his life is three verses in the Bible. Jesus walked this earth for 33 years, ministered three and a half years, and the world itself could not contain all the volumes of the things that he did because our life ain't going to count. Hey, look at me. Most people's lives can be put on a tombstone. Born, died, beloved son. Boom. And that's pretty much their life. You know what? And listen, you can make your life count by being nefarious, notorious. You can do that. You can try to be popular in the world. They're going to forget you in two weeks. Don't worry about it. But when Jesus comes in and does something in your life, he'll make your life count. Like it, like it actually matters to something. They appreciated that, I think. Well, who else is at this meeting? Then you go down to verse number three, and there's Mary now. She steps out. And what does she do? She takes, it says in verse uh it says in verse 2, it was Mary which anointed the Lord's feet with, uh, no, that's the wrong chapter. I'll, I'll find it. There we go, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of ointment, spiked her. That cost, in her day, that cost three years' wages. So if you figure that today, the average person's wage, we're talking $150,000, $200,000 for the average income they earn. And she takes that pound of spikener, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Mary... <laughs> Mary does something very special, but why? For the purest reason of she just wanted to do something for Jesus. How, how about that motivation? I just want to do something for Jesus. Don't you? Is there a nursery director in here? Do we have a nursery director in this room? God bless you. That lady gets salvation without heaven without salvation right there. Nursery director. And I guarantee you, oh, you start talking about getting people in the nursery. What? Them little ankle, ankle biters in there, you got to be kidding me. Seriously. There's kids in that nursery. Sometimes you think this is the angel or the antichrist. I'm not sure which one. And it goes back and forth from one day to the other one, one Sunday to the next one. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
You know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, but you know what? Nursery workers should feel like this. I'm doing this for Jesus. Ushers ought to feel like I'm doing something for Jesus. Hey, by, by the way, let's take it outside church. Let's take it home. Man gets up and goes out to work every day. He still ought to feel like he's doing something for Jesus. Like lady gets up and she goes about her duties for her day. She ought to feel like she's doing something for Jesus. Hey, young person, you do you, you way your parents do what's right, take care of business and that kind of thing. Actually, actually come out of the room and talk to your parents. That's a strange concept. That kind of stuff, you're doing something for Jesus. What about that concept? See, if you get the idea that you're just going to do something for Jesus, that's a powerful motivation in your life. So she takes three years of wages and pours it on his feet and wipes them with her hair, and that moment passes. But the Bible said the room was filled with the odor of the fragrance of what she did, and people saw that, and they thought, what in the world is that lady doing? She's doing something for Jesus. Hey, that's a good motivation. They're doing something for Jesus. I don't understand Christians who get burned out. Well, I'm just kind of burned out on mission. Well, like Lester Olaf used to say, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Yeah, we got too many people rusting out, sitting at the dock rusting out because they ain't doing nothing. God didn't call you. We think going to church means that makes you a good Christian. That makes you an obedient Christian. It's what you do when you get here that makes you a good Christian. It's getting busy. Because why? Because you get to do something for Jesus. Years ago, we reached one of the men in the rescue mission in our town. And there was Scott. He was a good guy. He, came, he was raw. He, was, he worked in the carnival circuit. Scott was like one of those, uh, one of those lizards from the Amazon. You know, I'm talking about the eyeballs don't go the same direction. You know, those people, you never know what, what eyeball to look at. About the time you zero on one, it kind of goes that way, and this one goes over here, and you're kind of, I look at their forehead. And Scott had them eyeballs like that lizard, you know. And he came, you could tell he's a rough-looking dude, shaved head. I mean, he's a rough-looking guy. And he came and got saved, and God got a hold of him. And it turned out this guy could play the piano. He sang sang very well. We had him sing a special one time. People thought, wow, this guy can sing. So he became one of our favorite special singers in our church. It wasn't too long after about three or four months, Scott got a little too polished. And you could tell the difference. He was more into the performance of it than singing for Jesus. And I pulled him aside. I said, Brother Scott, I'm, I'm missing the old Scott from the rescue mission with the lizard eyeballs. I'm missing you. You used to just sing, and when you did, God was on you. And it was a blessing because you weren't talented. You were just doing something for Jesus. Yeah. Let's get back over there, Brother yeah. Scott. You know, he turned out, he got turned out to be a pastor. <laughs> pastor of a church over on the coast in California many years. Died just a few years ago, some liver disease or something that he had. He just wanted to do something for Jesus. He didn't, and this lady married, she didn't care what other people thought. She just wanted to do something for Jesus. And she didn't care if it cost her something. She just wanted to do something for Jesus. See, we weigh that against things when we go to do something for the Lord. Well, I don't know why, you know, that's like a Sunday afternoon thing. And I could be, you know, it's Saturday and we bus calling and Ohio State's probably going to lose to Michigan again. And we... told you I was sarcastic. Truthful, but sarcastic. Hey, let's do be careful. The only thing I, team I hate worse than the Ohio State Buckeyes is the Michigan Wolverines. When they play, it's like rooting for the Antichrist or the devil. I mean, I can't stand either one of them, but it's, see, what do you root for? Lightning. That's what I root for. But anyway, <laughs> truth. I'm sorry. I ain't being sarcastic now. I'm telling the truth. The truth of the matter is, here's the deal. Watch me. I, I, it just seems like we forget 
that, that if it does cost me something, I'm, he's never going to ask more of me than he's done for me. Yes, Is that right? Yeah. Are you saved? Huh? Your salvation cost you nothing. He purchased that with his precious blood. It cost him everything to give you salvation. And now he asks you to do a little something at church, do a little extra for the Lord, and we go, well, I don't know about that, y'all. I'm awful busy. We were talking about tonight driving over to church, how the people, this COVID thing, they stay home, watch it online. Let me just show you some folks at home online right now who could be in church. I'm not talking about the sick folks. I'm not talking about the people who are out there watching. I'm not talking about people who are sitting there waiting to take notes so you can criticize somebody on their website. You need to get your heart right with God. I'm, I'm talking about people who sit home because they just don't want to get in a car and go to church. No, look at me, Fred. Look at me. You know you're not right. Not forsaking the assembly. That's not assembly. That's watching. That's what that's for to help people. But that's not for you to sit home on your rusty behind because you don't want to get up and go to church. But you'll get up and go to Walmart and you'll go to Costco and you'll go to the park and you'll go to the grocery store and you'll go to a restaurant, but you won't go to church. Boy, where'd I get off on that? All right, here we go. Truth is, to what it cost you? Well, I was talking to a couple of these got saved in our church recently, started missing service, didn't get to see them. They, they attended more church faithfully before they got saved <laughs> than after they got saved. The problem is Alka Seltzer Baptist drop them in the water and they fizz out. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I said, you folks attend the church better. <laughs> then it took like six months to join the church. I don't know why people got such a hang-up about joining a church. You'll join Costco, get a 900-pound bag of potato chips, but you won't join a church. I don't understand that. I said, you folks are more faithful before you join the church. We're going to take your membership away from you. So to go back to being faithful. I mean, come on, let's go. And they, they were good about it, and they were in church the next Sunday. Then they quit us. Oh, anyway, so they're, they're, then look at verse number four. Quickly now, who's at the supper? Judas is there. But I want you, did you notice that little statement about Jews, please? Did you see that? It says in John chapter 12, verse number four, then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. What are the next two words, church? His dad was Simon the leper. His dad, who had a death sentence, was given life. His dad, who was going to die of a horrible disease, was given health. And Simon, with one of the twelve disciples, who betrays Jesus with a price of a crippled servant. And right now tonight, look at me, right now tonight, he is in hellfire. John, see, I'm religious. Simon was very religious. He went to everything. He was the treasurer. It says he carried the bag. He had the money. He was a thief stealing from God, but he carried, he was the church treasurer. He went everywhere the other disciples went, with the exception of a few events of Peter, James, and John. He was there, and that man right now tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is in hellfire crying out for mercy because he was religious but not born again. You better be careful about something. Like if, some, if Judas doesn't teach us anything, let him teach us this. You can be religious, spiritual, church. You can say you have salvation, all that kind of stuff. But if you are not genuinely, authentically, by the word of God, born again, then, my friend, you are going to the same hell everybody else is going to go to. So I don't appreciate that. You should because if it quickens you to remind. See, right now, everybody in this room should not be doubting salvation. You should be assured of your salvation. 
should settle in your mind. No, no preacher should be able to shake your, your confidence. No preacher should be able to shake your testimony. None. Because every time somebody says something about a guy like Judas, the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says, which witness with my spirit that I am a child of God, should be reminding you, you are a child of God. And if that witness is not there, you better check the soul to make sure you are a child of God. I've had people, members of my church for years get saved. Walk the aisle and get saved. He's a song leader in, uh, in my Sunday school class. He's a doctor. I've seen five doctors walk the aisle and trust Christ now. He's a doctor. He was chief of staff, chief of medicine, and he's a general practitioner in town. Two-thirds of our church goes to this guy. He's a doctor. He came with his wife, and he made a profession of faith. As Dr. Hatch used to say, he took a head, not a heart. And then one Sunday morning, Sunday school, I taught on put off the old man, put on the new man. Simple Sunday school lesson for Christians. Sunday morning, Dr. Martinez walked the aisle, took my associate pastor's hand, said, I am not saved. He said, how do you know? He says, I could never do that. Put off that old man, put on that new man. That's not me. I know it's not me. I need to get saved. Amen. That trip we took to Africa where we're standing by the host, he was on that trip two weeks later with me. No, I don't care where you come from, what you are. Now look at me very carefully. Are you saved according, listen, according to the Bible? Not according to your feelings, your testimony. And the Lord's laboring this point on something today. That must be something going on tonight. And I'm just, I'm just trying to help you tonight. But I want you to understand something. Judas is in hell and he was religious, church member, church, uh, not church member, but church treasure. Went everywhere Jesus went, did everything Jesus did. Good night. This man is burning in hell tonight because he was religious but not born again. Now we better be careful about that. Do you know that these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Yes. See, people have all kinds of testimonies of salvation, but they're not biblical. Amen. Has someone taken the word of God, explained salvation to you from the Bible? It's very simple. I'm not Lordship Salvation Man. Don't believe Amen. in that, John. It's very simple. I'm on, I'm on the simplicity side of salvation. Amen. It's very simple. You're lost. Jesus died for you. You trust Christ. You turn to him and you accept him. You get saved. Amen. And that's salvation. Now, you better not add anything to it, and you better not take anything away from yes. it. Maybe you got a salvation you're trying to hold on to tonight. Well, that's works. That's not salvation. Because when you're saved, you're secured, you're sealed, kept by the power of God, ready to be revealed. There is no, now listen to me, that lose your salvation junk, that's nothing but works, and that'll send you straight to hell. Judas missed it all. Verse 9, we've got to stop here. And we need to, but look at this. This, this is the curious crowd. They've just come to see. They want to see Jesus. Hey, Lazarus is there. Let's see a guy who rose from the dead. Chief priests are coming. They're just coming there because they want to find out what's wrong with what's going on. They're the curious crowd. You know what they are? There are two things, and I'll finish on this. Look at me. They're spectating. Part of this crowd just wants to see what's going on. They're just spectating. Look at me. They're the kind of folks who just show up to church, listen to a while, get up and go home. But, you know, all the rest of that stuff, not really interesting. They're spectating. Now, if they say you're spectators, you're missing something. I love to go to an athletic contest. I don't hardly go anymore because it's so wicked. You go to an athletic contest and there's just people, why did he do that? Why did the quarterback throw it over there? For goodness sake, that, can't you see that guy over there? You get behind those people coming up at you. Six foot, 249,000 pounds with teeth hanging out, about to eat you alive. You'd be back there saying, Hail Mary, full of grace. I'm chucking this sucker in somebody's face. You'd be doing it. I guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. Why are you throwing them there? Self-preservation is why. 
But the spectator in the seats are going, why did he pass the ball to that guy? Why didn't he go over to the show? Shoot the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. Yeah, you're in the stands. That guy's out there trying to maneuver and get her. See, it's always easy when you're a spectator to see what's wrong with somebody else and what they're doing. you got to get off the bench and get in the game. Get in this thing. Find out what it's really like. That's where you get attached in the good church and get involved. But also this, and I'll finish it pretty quickly. Look at it. How did these spectators, how did these curious people know that Lazarus was dead and Jesus was dead? Somebody told them. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. See, 90% of people are going to come to church. They're going to come because somebody invites them to come. Okay? There are people you know that man will never be able to reach. They wouldn't listen to him for five seconds. You know him. You know who they are. And you, you know what? Those people, you, you have an opportunity to reach them. The jail ministry many years in our church. And we, we start out with a few guys, and then God would bless. And we, sometimes we have a room packed with, with prisoners come in and preach the gospel to them. You know why they came? Because the other prisoners invited them to come. I'd say, fellas, look, if I could go in the cell blocks, I would. And invite the fellas to come out. I said, but they won't let me in there, but you're in there. You go get them. You get them and bring them out. And they would, and they'd bring them out. One day, I had a bunch of fellows sitting there, and these guys, so say, fellas, let's start service. The two guys go, hey, preacher man, preacher man. See that guy right there on the front row? He's lost. He needs Jesus. Work him over. And this young guy's sitting there, like I said, is that right? He goes, uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I need to get saved. Say, go, preacher, get him. Go on, get, he brought him in here. Go get him. Just, just led him to Christ. I mean, they, they brought him out. Truth of the matter is, we've had people come to church Sunday morning. I'll visit, go around shaking hands, talking to folks. I said, Welcome to church today. Nice to have you. This one lady looks at me. She goes, Can I get saved here? I said, Well, well yes, ma'am. She goes, Now, can I get saved right now? I said, Well, yes, ma'am. I'm Pastor Johnson. Well, what's your name? My name's Mary Smith. Could I be saved right now? I said, Well, Mary, you have to wait until church and invitation and everything else. I said, Yes, ma'am. We'll take care of that right now. Come here, young lady. Talk to this young lady. Lead her to Christ. Somebody invited her. You understand? Hey, it ain't rocket science, man. You you know people we don't know. You have contact with people we don't have contact with. And it's amazing what you can do to reach somebody. Who are you in this subject tonight? Let's stand to our feet.